All right, let's go ahead and we'll get started. Um, where are we at here? We're in uh, John chapter 9, verses 24 through 38 this week. Uh, this will be session 10. You have seen him. Jesus reveals truth to those who seek him. As we come into this lesson, um, I want to know how do traditions and beliefs keep people from seeing the truth? Traditions and beliefs, how do they keep us from seeing the truth? Because we do it the same way all the time. You do it the same way all the time. And it's handed down from generation to generation. We've always done it that way. Some people are afraid to leave their traditions and stuff. People are afraid to leave them, yeah. Yeah. Any other ideas? Why are we shackled to our traditions? Because we don't want to change. We don't want to change, but why do we not want to change? Okay, we think that there's value in it, all right? We're comfortable in it. We're comfortable, there you go. I have friends who um, are still of the Catholic persuasion, and after many um, conversations, they're convinced that the evangelical belief that Christ came and died for our sins and all that is right and the works-based system of the of Catholicism is wrong but they won't change the reason they're afraid that if they actually admit that that's that that system's wrong then their loved ones that have gone before them will be damned as if they're not already but yeah I've, I've had I have a number of friends I, I have a number of friends well my wife was Catholic and she died, and I just can't, I can't accept it. I can't believe that so that's true, even though I can see that it is, because then that means that she died unsaved, or a, a parent, or a spouse, or a child. Yeah. Catholicism is strong. Well, it is, but it's out of fear. Right. It's out of fear that if I don't do all the prescribed things, um, you know, then... Then there's a, a likelihood that they won't they won't make it, and it'll be my fault. And so there's a fear to that. They gotta get they gotta get their friends up or their loved ones out of purgatory. And all well, that. yeah. Well, I yeah. I mean, most of yeah most of our my uh, family was Catholic, and so they 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 many of them still believe that, um, or they wouldn't leave. The cat, they wouldn't leave it because they didn't want to offend other family members. They also believe very strongly, um, like in heaven, they won't, there's only yep. the Catholic heaven, so if they switch, they won't ever see their loved ones. Yeah, yeah, there's that too. So there, there's, there's a lot of reasons, and as we come into the day's passage, we're going to deal with it, and instead of Catholics, though, it's going to be Judaism. Caveat. And so we're going we're gonna to see how... This plays out with the Pharisees and what's going on. Um, so let's uh, jump into this. I want to backtrack from chapter 9 back to where we were last week in chapter 8 real quick. So back in chapter 8, we have the Pharisees come to Jesus with the woman trying to get catch him up. 
um, with uh, the whole issue of adultery and all that. And apparently, they, they all leave. It says that, you know, they, leave, they left by the oldest one first and all that. And Jesus is still there, and apparently he continues on teaching because the, the rest of chapter 8 is Jesus dealing with um, uh, who he is as he's uh, teaching in the temple. Now, let's remember, he's in the temple. This is the festival of booths. So all of Israel is gathered outside Jerusalem, living in tents for seven days. And halfway through the festival, Jesus goes up to the temple and they bring in the woman in adultery. So that's where we're at. This is mid-festival. This is uh, Jesus' is teaching. They're trying to trip him up because they want to they put him to death. Um, and they come back. And he's still teaching. Now, I don't know if it's the next day, later that day, or, or what. But he gets into this whole debate with the Pharisees that are there. And he starts talking about how the truth will free you from sin. Which is, uh, that's like so bizarre to the Jews. How's the truth going to free us from sin? And Jesus is explaining who he is and how all this was. And they're like, oh, you're lying, you're making this up. There's a whole argument between him and them um, because they're not, they're not believing the truth. He's telling them, explaining to them what's going on. Now, he call, tells them, you who lie are from the devil. He's calling the Pharisees. Now, remember, these are the religious leaders. You're in Jerusalem. So these rabbis, these leaders, these are the, the best of the best of the best, if you will. I mean... You don't minister in Jerusalem if you don't if you're not any good. Uh, you end up in some pudunk little town synagogue out in, in the sticks somewhere, developing your style and all that. So these are the top preachers, if you will, of the Jewish law, and uh, he's calling them liars and that they are from the devil, which they've been saying he is uh, all the time. And so they, they go into this whole argument with him. We don't know who you are. We don't know where you're from, which we've talked about how knowing where somebody was from tells you all about them. And, and they believed in this whole system of it. only, you know, you had to come from the right place and the right family to be uh, of any value. And they're like, we don't know who you are or where we're from, but we're, we're sons of Abraham and all that. And so Jesus comes out with his most iconic saying, uh, before Abraham was... I am, which this is like fist to face to these guys. What do you mean? You're, you're 30 years old or so. How did Abraham lived, you know, a thousand years ago? How can you be before Abraham was? You're not that old and all that. But Jesus isn't even claiming that he was. He's claiming that he currently is, which is uh, a whole nother <laughs> issue. And they're just like, what? And so now they're mad at him. And so they are ready to stone him and his disciples in the temple. They're, they're ready to commit murder. And so they pick up stones, and Jesus just kind of wanders out of the crowd. And they're like, where'd he go? Because it wasn't his time, which in and of itself is cool. And he'd been, the disciples are trailing with him, and they're going out of the temple. Now, I've shown you the pictures um, of those stairs um, of the temple. So they're going out the temple, down those stairs, and as they come out, um, they run into a blind man. And this is now in John chapter 9. 
So here's where the story we're looking at today starts. We're going to pick it up mid-story, but I, I want to give you the background uh, of the story. So we come into chapter 9. So they've just tried to stone Jesus. And Jesus coming out of the temple um, stops, and he heals a blind man to answer one of the disciples' questions. Now, they've almost been stoned by the Pharisees. They're leaving the temple, and there's a blind guy sitting on the corner. And the disciples ask Jesus, who, who sinned, this, the man or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. And, well, then why is the guy blind? Now, remember, um, the Jews believed that if you have a tragedy, it's because of sin. That, that, you, that bad things happen to people who are sinners. That, that's their whole mantra. So the disciples are wondering, this guy was born blind. Apparently, he's a well-known guy, he he's been, was born blind his whole life, and he's sitting here and, and been begging on this corner for since, you know, whenever. Forever. And the disciples want to know, well, who, who's at fault? We see that Jesus uh, indicates he's not blind due to sin. Sin did not cause this man's blindness. Jesus indicates that it's so that he can glorify God. And he reaches down and he makes mud. He spits in the dirt, makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and, uh, you know, all would be well. And they went about their business. They just kept on going. Now, the people that were watching this, the onlookers, because let's face it, Jesus always had somebody paying attention to what he was doing. <laughs> Back in the See, at yeah, well, they see what Jesus does. And what do they do? Follow the blind man? No, they don't. They run and tell the Pharisees? They ran and told the Pharisees. They, actually, they didn't just go to the Pharisees. They took the guy that's now not blind to the Pharisees. Ooh, teacher, teacher, guess what Johnny did? <laughs> right? That, that's exactly what it is. They're concerned. Now, here's the question. Why? Look at your text. Why are they concerned? Somebody, go ahead. I heard somebody say it. It was the Sabbath. I find this interesting. John records this all the time. Of Jesus doing amazing things on the Sabbath. Just to stir everything up. Right, and everybody gets all bent out of shape. What? You healed on the Sabbath. So they take this guy to the Pharisees because it's the Sabbath. Don't you know you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath? That guy should have stayed blind. <laughs> but that's the attitude, isn't it? Yeah. Don't do good things. All right. You can wait until tomorrow. Wait until tomorrow. Right. Why can't Jesus wait a couple hours? Let that little sheep just wander off by himself. That's where we're at. So, the, so here's the Pharisees. We want to stone Jesus because he called us the sons of the devil. And claim to be before Abraham. We're going to stone him. Jesus on his way out. Heals this guy on the Sabbath. They bring him to the Pharisees. And they're, now they're really in an uproar. Alright. So that's where we're at. They investigate this guy. He doesn't know anything. I mean they're like. you know, What, what, what happened? Because you, you continue on. Before we get to chapter 
or verse 24. And they interrogate him. Well, who did it? I don't know. I was blind. <laughs> I didn't see it. You know, so then they're, so they're like, well, maybe this guy wasn't. Then they don't believe that he was blind. Ah, it was, it was a trick. You know, it's one of those um, maybe Copperfield tricks. Right? He, he just looks like the guy who was blind. So they get his parents. And they bring his parents. This your son? Yeah, that's our son. Was he born blind? Yeah, he was born blind. Well, how did this happen? We don't know. Ask him. Yeah, He's reached his majority. They're, I mean, they're grilling anybody they can find on this. So now we're going to come to our passage for today. John chapter 9, verses 24 through 25. Somebody go ahead and read those for us. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Okay. A second time. They weren't, they weren't happy with the way the first interrogation went, so they dragged the guy back in for a second time. And they want him to admit that the man who healed him is a sinner. All right, so here we go. Our outline of John, we are still in the second part of the outline, presentation of Christ as the Son of God. And the guy says, the, the one thing I know, I can see. I don't know anything else. I don't know anything about the guy. I couldn't see him um, and all that. This whole problem is because the Jews, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day have been after Jesus. Now, we know that he, Jesus himself, when he came to the festival, declared to everybody there at the temple that they wanted to do what? Kill him. And they said, nah, 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 we don't want to kill you. So now we've just had them attempt to stone him. They've tried to set him up. And the problem is, is that this is building. Now remember, we're about six months out. This is like October from his crucifixion, which is going to be March, April, somewhere. Um, so it's about six months out. And so this is just building their aggravation for sure. And their failure to prove that Jesus sinned is really grating all of them. Because if they can prove Jesus is a sinner, then the people will stop following him. And that's part of the problem. The people are following him in large crowds because of what he's teaching and because of what he's doing. See, he's not just giving, he's not just correcting their teaching. He's backing it up with miraculous miracles, and we're going we're to talk about that in a minute. Um, remember, the Jews, the Pharisees, taught and believed all suffering is caused by sin. So if you suffer, whether it be economically, you lose your job, your, your family goes broke, the farm fails, whatever, it's because you sin. Uh -huh. Is there any place in the Bible that they would, um, or in their Torah, that they would get that from? That they would believe that? No, there isn't any place. It's just what they. It's just what they believe because it, it usually is. We're, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, we'll, we'll see where some of this comes from, uh, and I will show you what they're what they're basing a lot of this stuff on. So just hang on a second. 
Jesus now, so that's what the that's what the, the Pharisees, that's what's being taught in the synagogues, the, the scribes, the lawyers, they were teaching that you needed to remain pure. Now, remember, their view of what was sin is based on their laws, not necessarily the laws that Moses gave, but that whole Mishnah and the Talmud that they had all these add-ons to the basic law that was in the Torah. Um, and so their rules and regulations are what you had to keep. So that meant even more detailed. And if you don't follow those things, then you were a sinner, and therefore bad things should happen to you. Jesus, on the other hand, is now teaching um, that sin is not always the cause of suffering, uh, which... It isn't. We get caught in that. You know, you get pulled over by a cop and you start thinking, oh, what, what, what did I do wrong? Rather than, yeah, well, okay, I got pulled over because I'm speeding. But anytime something bad like that's happening, we think we've sinned. Um, and that's part of the problem. Uh, God doesn't just zap us. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting in trouble uh, because I did something and God's punishing me or, or whatever. Sometimes just things happen. This is a fallen world. And so Jesus is teaching that all suffering is not due to sin. Some suffering is just due to a fallen world. It just happens. And it happens so that God can be glorified when things do work out and we turn to him and he does something miraculous. Patty. Didn't they have Job? They did! But they don't, like I said, they they weren't basing it on that. They had added so much to the Torah. And again, it's not there, it's not the laws that God gave. It's a lot of the little petty stuff that they did that would puff them up. See, look at me. I follow all this list of rules. You go down the list, check them off. Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And Jesus keeps pointing out it's your hearts that are the problem. You might tithe everything you're supposed to, but then you're going out and foreclosing on widows' houses and orphans properties and you're scarfing them up and kicking them out and treating them like garbage. That's not how it works. So they bring this guy in for the second interrogation because they failed to prove that Jesus had sinned. And they just want this guy to just, just say it. Now the guy understands what Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been teaching it is always right to do good. And it is always evil to withhold good. Now remember, if we go back to the earlier chapters, to the pool of uh, Bethesda, what happened? Well, he healed the guy. He healed the guy. Yeah. Uh, on a Sabbath. On a Sabbath, of course. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they were mad then. Why? Because he did it on the Sabbath. Because he healed on the And side. he had told the guy to pick up his And he told the guy to take his bed and go home. Right. 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 The and they're like, don't you know you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath? And Jesus taught them there that, you know, it's all right to pull your ox out of the ditch. But it's not all right to heal a man who's been lame for however long the guy had been lame for. Your priorities are all messed up, Jesus told them. Second interrogation. They just want the guy, just, just say, tell everybody that he was a sinner. All right, he healed you, but he was a sinner. And the guy says, I don't know anything about it. I don't even know who the guy was. 
How can I say that he's a sinner? I don't know. Jewish leadership wants him to deny what he knew, which is what? That he was healed, he could see. Yeah, he was blind, and now he can see. And they will try later on, we're going to see, they're going to try and do this with Lazarus. They're going to come up with excuses why Jesus was able to raise Lazarus. Like, nobody can raise the dead, right? This, this guy can't do that. They're going to come up with every excuse. And those excuses are still roaming around today, aren't they? Oh, he just swooned and all that. Jesus shows up days later. They don't even want to open the, the thing because they're like, he's going to stink. Yep. He, the, old, the, the old King James, he stinketh. Don't open that. <laughs> he's like, no, move, move the rock. He doesn't stink. And Jesus just calls him out. He just walks out. Right? But they want to deny that. They denied that he cast out demons. They claim that he's Beelzebub and that he's just in charge. <laughs> Not that he actually had the power to cast them out. Over and over again, we're going to see his resurrection happens. They put the seals on the door, and they try to get the guards to lie. lie. They tell them that the disciples came and stole their bodies. Don't worry about it, that, that the Romans will put you to death. We'll take care of that. Just lie for us. We can't let this stand, right? Then they get the disciples, and what do they tell them? They beat them senseless, drag them into court. And tell them, we're in charge. We're the leaders of the Jewish nation. And we command you not to tell us anymore that Jesus rose from the dead. And they're like, we can't. We have to. We saw him. We were there. Right? They beat him and sent him out again. And what do they do? They have been trying to suppress this teaching. Here we are. They're trying to suppress it. This guy's blind. He doesn't even know who it was. They know who it was. But the guy who it happened to, he has no idea. Now, why are they so adamant with this guy? Does anybody know why this is? I mean, okay, so we healed a blind man on the Sabbath. But why are they so desperate and determined to get this guy to recant? Well, okay, they're making them look bad, sure. He was well known, so they couldn't just hide it. Okay, that's true. But that doesn't tell me why. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, he said the name of God, I am, is yep. the name of God. And that really must have burned them. Oh, sure. He was claiming that. But that doesn't tell us why they want this guy so desperate to get into the camp. No. Was it because he was born that way? Something, it just didn't happen to him? Well, that's, that, that's part of the cause not part of the reason why. He must have something really obscure he wants to say. Well, it's not, really, it's not really obscure, but as evangelicals, we don't pay any attention to it because it comes out of the Old Testament, which is really annoying. Healing the blind was a well-known sign of the Messiah. So this is, this is, they're desperate for this guy to recant because if Jesus healed a blind man, then we have to admit that he's the Messiah, in which case everything he said about us would be true, and everything that we're doing is wrong. So we can't have that. No. The guy says, I can see. I don't know anything else. I can't, I can't recant. All I know is I can see now. How do I deny that? 
They're desperate. Isaiah chapter 29. I'm going to run through a bunch of these. Uh, chapter 29, verses 13 through 21. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I again will do wonderful things with this people. With wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish. And the discernment, discernment, wow, <laughs> the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. Do you understand? Here, Isaiah is prophesying about these Pharisees that are right there before Jesus. They're talking about they they honor them with their lips and their but their hearts are hard. Verse fifteen: Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? And the thing made should say to its maker, He did not make me? Or the thing formed or say from him, or who formed it, He has no understanding. It is... Is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a beautiful or fruitful field and the fruit field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, when this happens, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord and the poor among mankind shall exalt in the Holy One of Israel. For the ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer cease, and all who watch to do evil shall be cut off, who by a word make a man out to be an offender, and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate, and with an empty plea turn aside him who is in the right. This whole thing, this is... This is part of a long messianic prophecy. The guy's going to come. He's going to heal the deaf and the blind. And he's going to do exactly what Jesus is doing to the Pharisees. He's going to call them to answer. He's going to call them to account. They don't want this happening. If, this is, if Jesus is doing that, then this is what's happening. And they know who they are. They're the evil ones. <laughs> That's their role to play. So they... They can't accept that. We're the religious leaders. We're wealthy. We follow God. We do what we're supposed to do. We're in charge, right? Doesn't end there. Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 to 10. Somebody read this for us. I'm losing my voice. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and the highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Though no lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. All of this, isn't this what Jesus has been talking and teaching about? Springs of living water. Isaiah is predicting it here. He first told that to the Samaritan woman, and he's referenced it over and over again as we've come through the book of John. Jesus is portraying himself as the Messiah. These Pharisees, especially in, in Jerusalem, these are the best of the best of the teachers. They know this. They've memorized this. That's what makes them rabbis. That's what makes them teachers of the law. They've got this down cold. They know exactly what Jesus is saying. See, all these teaching things are playing into this. He's calling this out and saying, this is who I am, and this is who you are. And they're going, no, 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 no. We're not that. We are not the evil ones. We're not the ones that are causing the problems here. It's you, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, let me show you a thing or two. Let me, let me heal the lame. Let me heal the deaf. Let me heal the blind. And they're like, no, these things really can't be happening. It's all a trick. It's a lie. Just tell yourself it's a lie. Right? One more. Isaiah. I, Isaiah's got a lot of this. This is all that mass messianic promise. We always just look at the stuff about Jesus as the baby coming in, in Isaiah. But this is what, this is what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. Here we are, Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9. Somebody, uh, somebody read that. Behold my servant, whom I behold, uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes of that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to, car to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Isaiah is writing this and saying this is what's to come. And this is the word of the Lord because he is writing, I, the Lord, I, God, am declaring my servant is coming and he's going to do these things. This is what's going to transpire and he's going to heal 
the blind. The blind are going to see. He's going to free the prisoners, which we see in Acts as we get into there. As, as that's happening. There's so much of this transpiring. And Jesus is playing on this, claiming, it's me. This is me. Here I am. See, here I am. I'm who Isaiah is talking about. Let me show you. Let me heal this blind guy. See, I'm this guy. I am who I say I am. Remember, right before this, that he was arguing with the Pharisees, right? They, and he was claiming who he was. And they're like, we don't know who you are. They knew who he was. All they got to do is look at what he's doing and saying. They know who it. They're like, we don't know where you come from. We don't know who your father is. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. Okay. You're not looking very closely at Isaiah, are you? Annie, you had a question. I, I'm just, they know this. They know this so well. I mean, that's their job to know this. Mm -hmm. Where do they find it within themselves to try to discount him? Go back to my original question. <laughs> what did we start? Tradition. No, we have to hold on to our traditions. We're the lawmakers. We're the ones that decide, right? Because if it's not about us, if it's not about the way we've been doing it, then we're wrong. And all those other dominoes we said, if we admit that, then all those things fall. Our loved ones didn't match up because they only did what we told them and they didn't actually get this. And so therefore, we caused their fall. We, friends, neighbors, relatives, and there's all of that that comes with it. It's guilt. It's fear. So we can't, we, no, we can't do it. Let's face it, mankind knows what's right and wrong. I mean, there's a, we, we've created laws for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Societies that know nothing of Scripture have laws that said you won't murder, you don't steal. Adultery is wrong in every society that, uh, that does it. Now, they may turn the blind eye and accept it, but they know it's wrong. It's not right to steal some guy's wife or some, guy's, some lady's husband. All these things we know because we're, we're made in the image of God. He made us to know these things. We have that in us. And I think the Holy Spirit is in the world. He's convicting people of it. And the more, the harder he convicts, and the harder somebody's heart is, the more they say, no, this isn't right. That's why we got guys in Congress that are passing laws that are contrary to everything Scripture teaches. The whole, the, the, the whole um, LGBTQ thing. <laughs> Okay, we say that, that, oh no, we're just a, we're a more progressive society and all that. Well, what do you believe? Well, they, they believe in Darwin and evolution, right? I mean, that's what we're teaching in the schools. We're teaching kids that we came from monkeys and, and all that, right? Darwinian evolution is contrary to the very LGBTQ concept. You can't have any, you, you can't make more children and thus cause all the mutations for the next level of evolution between two same sexes or sexes changing sex to become a difference. That, it doesn't work. Darwinian evolution fails with those things, but we're progressive. We have to accept it. It doesn't even make sense in terms of humanism. When we look at it in just terms of humanism, forget Christianity, the, how the world works. If you've got two turtles, a boy and a girl, you'll end up with more turtles. If you only have two boy turtles or two girl turtles, do you end up with more turtles? No. On any, in any island anywhere, does that happen that way? No. 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 They, these, these things are contrary to even the laws of nature, but yet we've got people passing laws and saying, no, this is good. This is right. 
Why? Because just like these guys looking at the book of Isaiah, they're like, no, Jesus can't be right. We have to be right. Did, did people, were they able to read themselves like the... Okay, all, all boys go to um, boys. the synagogue. Yes, oh, boys okay. did. They would go to the synagogue when they turned 13. Okay. That's part of the bar mitzvah thing. So you became a man. Now you go and you study the law. You learn to read the Torah. Now some do better than others, but they were capable of reading the scrolls. Now whether their synagogue had a full copy of the Torah and the writings and all that, that's a whole other issue. Poorer towns and villages may only have a partial scroll and all that. It was expensive because it had to be copied by hand. And so... That but these these guys are in Jerusalem. These guys are part of the Sanhedrin. These guys are at the temple teaching. They've got access to everything, and they they can do it, know it. So did the women never hear it and yeah. just go along with what their husbands say? Or um, no, they're okay. So in a synagogue, there's two stories usually, and it, again, it comes back to how wealthy the town was. So on the first floor of the synagogue is where the men sat. So they would come in and they would say the prayers and all that. Women, there was an upper gallery, and women were permitted to be up there. Even in modern-day synagogues uh, that are orthodox, uh, will have an area for the women, and it's usually a, you know the lattice that you put outside under your deck. Mm -hmm. Then they'll have an area that's latticed off, and the women will sit in there, um, and that's their section, um, and, and all that. And the men will sit in the rest of the room, but that's. That's only in, or if you're in a more progressive uh, synagogue and all that, they, they'll, they'll be mixed. But in the more orthodox, they'll, they'll do that. Okay, we're going to move on and we're going to run out of time. Okay, so that's, this is what's going on. So now we know what's going on. Now let's see what what's happening. John chapter 9, verses uh, 26 through 34. Somebody go ahead and read that. It's a lot of reading today. They said to him, what did he do to you? How do you open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> and they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. All right, so here's this guy. And they're pressing him. Tell us what he did again. And I love his statement. Do you want to be his disciples? I mean, I told you once. He didn't believe me then. Yeah, I love this guy. And he even knew that being healed of blindness, especially from birth, was a sign that you were from God. Right. 
Well, okay, in some of your, uh, I'm, I'm not finding it real quick. Somewhere it says they tell him to give glory to God. Give God the glory and, and tell us what happened, right? I, I want to look at that for a minute. The give glory to God actually... Is it in verse 24? Thank you. Um, this is the beginning of a... Um, this is what I'm looking for. A, um, an event, if you will. This is, this is a statement that starts uh, a proceeding, if you will. Does anybody know where it comes from? Yeah, uh, when... Um I think his name uh, stole the. Well, I I don't know. It was when Joshua. Um, what's the guy's name? Aiken. Aiken. Yeah. Aiken. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It comes from the trial of Aiken in the book of Joshua when Joshua tried to take Ai, and they failed, and then Joshua goes to God and says, "Why did we fail?" And he says, "Well, somebody stole from Jericho." I told you to consign everything to destruction. But Achan didn't, did he? He stole clothing and gold and, and stuff and all that. So Joshua comes to Achan. They, they, they go through this procedure and they figure out that it's Achan. And they come to him and Joshua says, Give glory to God. Confess what you've done. Tell us what you did. Well, from that passage, and this is what I want to show you. Because you keep asking me, how do they do this? Well, I'm going to show you here in a second. Remember, I've talked about the book of Mishnah. The Mishnah is made up of several books, just like our Bible is. So it's, it's like that. And the, and the Jewish rabbis leaned heavily on the Mishnah to lead the people, which the Mishnah was a collection of teachings from other rabbis that came much earlier. So these are authoritative authorities on the law, um, there is a book in the Mishnah called the Sanhedrin. Come on. Go. I'm sure there is. Batteries are. Oh, there we go. That'll go twice. Right. <laughs> it's sleepy. <laughs> I can't win today. Okay. All right, so here it is. This is from the book of Sanhedrin, chapter 2. This is verse 2, all right? Now, I know it's a little small, but don't worry. I'll read it for you. This is about trials. So they're, they're going to stone somebody. Now, I want you to understand, this, okay, those of you, I know a bunch of you in here come from Orthodox backgrounds. Catholic, etc. When somebody's dying, what do you do? Last rites. Huh? Last rites. Last rites. And, and, the la and part of the last rites are what? Confession of sin. Confession of sin, yeah. The priest comes and he wants you to give your last confession so you can enter into God's presence cleansed of your sins. Well, that's where it comes from this. That whole litany in the Orthodox churches, they take it from the Sanhedrin in the, in, the, in the Mishnah. It comes from the book of the Sanhedrin right here, chapter 6, verse 2, 
which this is taken from the story of Achan out of the book of Judges. So what happened there, that one little trial, they're going to write this whole thing. And so it says, when he was 10 cubits from the place of stoning, they say to him, confess, for it is usual for those about to be put to death to confess. For whoever confesses uh, has a share in the world to come. You understand that? So if you confess before you die, you can have heaven. For we find concerning Achan, to whom Joshua said, My son, I pray you, give glory to God, or give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and confess to him, and tell me now what you have done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly have I sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and thus and thus and thus I have done. We see it in Joshua chapter 7, verses 19. And how do we know that his confession achieved atonement for him? For it is said, and Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 25. Then he goes on. This day the Lord will trouble you, but you will not be troubled in the world to come. Saying that you're, you know, if you confess, you're going to get into heaven. And if he does not know how to confess... They say to him, say as follows, let my death be atonement for all my transgressions. That's according to Rabbi Judah, who's some ancient rabbi. That's, what, that's his teaching on it. If he knew that he had been subjected to perjury, he says, let my death be atonement for all my sins, except for this particular sin of which I have been convicted by false testimony. They said to him, if so... Then even everyone is going to say that so as to clear themselves. And it goes on from there. Like when he's so many cubits, you stop again and ask him this. And it's how this proceeding is supposed to work. This is the procedure that they're following. And so here we are. We've got the, uh, the, the Pharisees interrogating this guy for a second time. And they start this whole thing. Because they believe the confession... The, by confessing whatever they think is the sin will purify you. This is the whole, this is where the last rites come from. So those of you that remember the orthodox uh, way of doing things, they, the last rites, this is where it comes from, right here, the book of Sanhedrin. Hmm. Um, it starts in chapter 6, verse 2, and goes on from there. Comment or question before I move upon us. Go ahead. So they, were, they were trying to get him to confess that he was, he was sinning. Well, that Jesus was sinning. Oh, that Jesus, oh, okay. They already know he sinned because he was blind. Yeah, okay, all right. All right, so we'll move on. But this is what they believe. Now, this is, remember, these guys are the leaders of the Jewish nation. They know this. They know this teaching. They know what they're doing. This is what they believe. Now we come back to the guy. And his response, there's like, come on, confess. Tell us what you did. He says, I don't know anything. I can see. You can't. <laughs> you can't see. You're the problem. It isn't me. And he gets, he gets he, I mean, really, this guy does get, I mean, he's getting flippant with them. I mean, he's now, he, he knows what happened. They're, they won't admit that it happened. 
And he's happy. I mean, can you imagine being born blind and all of a sudden being able to see? I mean, this is a joyous day for him. He wants to go out and celebrate. These guys are grinding him through this trial. And he's like, I told you. I told you what happened. Are you want to hear it again? Is it because you want to become his disciples? I mean, that's like a slap in the face, right? They've been, this is, again, we've been, we've been walking through John. These guys have been after him. Month after month, they keep trying. Jesus shows up, does something, and they come after him. This is a slap in the face, if there ever was one. You want to be his disciples? These guys had their own disciples. Again, these are the top of the top, the teachers of the teachers. They've got disciples of their own that are sitting in the, they're sitting there watching how this plays out because they're supposed to learn how to be like their mentors. So they, they come back. Hmm, somebody had a question? I was, just, I was just picturing in my mind him standing there with that snarky look on his face. Like, you want to be disciples? Well, yeah. So their comeback, this is their comeback. We are followers of Moses. This guy we don't know anything about. Um, it's not a competition with Moses, though, is it? No. They view it as them versus him. Moses, the law of Moses versus Jesus. But the problem is, is that Jesus is correcting not the law of Moses. He's correcting that Mishnah that they're quoting from. He's correcting that whole list of laws that they got wrong. It isn't some magic scene. That if I use the right words and I make this confession just like this, that um, I'm all good and we'll get into the, the next world. It doesn't work that way. You have to live the right life. The problem is, is they're not living the right life, are they? They've got the facade that where I'm all this and then some. And Jesus keeps calling them out on it. It's not a competition with Moses. It's a correction back to Moses to show that you're not living it right. So then, then they, he goes into this whole little spiel. God doesn't listen to sinners. This is funny because this, this whole little statement that he makes is actually Greek philosophy. It's the idea of logic, which the Jews didn't use. The Jews, they, they were steeped in their tradition and all that. Greek logic was fairly new to the world. The idea that if this is true and this is true, then this must be true. That, that whole thing. You remember doing those two-column proofs in geometry class? Hmm. Yeah, we all hated them, right? That was a long time. A, plus, you know, a equals B, B equals C, therefore C equals A, right? Yeah, that's, but that's what this guy whips out on them. These are Jewish rabbis. They're teachers of the law. They are about the tradition. This is what we believe. Here, look in the Mishnah. You can see it here. They don't think. This guy's thinking. Somewhere he's heard Jewish philosophy and logic. And he said, look, we know you, you said that God doesn't listen to sinners. And you said that this guy, this guy healed me. And he did it through God because only God can do this because I was born blind. Therefore, he must be from God. And they're like, they're, they're, they're standing there, and they're, I'm sure they're perplexed. They're dumbfounded because everything that they've been trying to get him to say, they now understand. He makes it clear to them, the reason you're doing that is because you don't want him to be from God, which he clearly is because there's no way he could heal a blind man who was blind from birth because it's never happened in the history of the world, and now it has. Only God can do that. Therefore, God is listening to this guy, which means he can't be a sinner. 
which is what you want me to say, that he's a sinner. How is that possible? And in the face of logic, what do they do? Well, they don't stone him, but yeah, they 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 they, they yeah they pass judgment. You're a sinner. Get out. They excommunicate him. They kick him out. Somebody back here said they doubled down. They what? They double down. They double down. Yeah. Just get out. We we can't accept this. We can't accept this. So wherefore we're gonna get rid of you? This guy's just been healed. He's blind. Okay, I'm leaving. See you guys. Was he even able to go into the temple, the blind man? Sure. Oh, he was. Okay. Yeah, he no, could go in. I mean, that was, uh, you know, that's because he sinned supposedly because he was blind. Yeah, yeah, he, he was he's, still able to. Okay. He's he's able to go up there. Um, yeah. All right. So there's that. Any question before I move on to our last section because it's gonna this will tie it all up. Can you imagine now he can see? Oh yeah. And he can see the looks on the faces. Yeah. Of and it's all new to him. He has no idea how to interpret those looks. But he seems to do a great job, doesn't he? Because I think he's he knows what these people are feeling in their hearts. He's had to rely on all the auditory. Yeah, there you go. All the auditory, and he he hears what's going on. Yeah. I can't imagine being this guy. Come on. John chapter 35 through 38. Somebody read that. <clears throat> Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Okay, now this just ties this up perfectly. Again, remember, this guy's been blind since birth, so his ability to hear and know voices, I'm sure, was acute. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus walks up to him. He goes and finds him. Well, let me get... I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> there we are. Uh, the guy's de declaration, I can really see. <laughs> the idea that, that he now... He knows... It's not just that it's not visual. It's I can see I'm not the, the blinders have been taken off. I know what's going on. This is all politics. Jesus comes looking for him. That says a lot. Yeah. This guy has just been kicked out, excommunicated from the religious parts of the Jews. He's no longer allowed in the temple. He's persona non grata in synagogues. The religious leaders, bam, judgment has been passed. You're done. Get out. I'm sure that he's probably not very up about that. He's waited his whole life to be accepted in the Jewish society. As a man, he can now go and learn to read the Torah. He's a little old, but he can't. All that's taken away from him because of this. And so Jesus comes looking for him. And he asks him, do you believe? Which we know is the key to John. And um, again, I think he recognizes Jesus' voice as the guy who did this. And we see his response. 
His response? He worshiped. Jesus doesn't turn him away, does he? Nope. Doesn't say, I'm, I'm just a servant, I'm just a prophet, I'm just an angel, I'm just a... No, Jesus accepts the worship. This guy worships Jesus, thus proving either he's completely insane or he really is the Son of God, equal to God in all manners, in all ways. I can really see this guy understood who Jesus was and who he was claiming to be. He accepts it. He worships him. So what do we get out of this besides a lot of cool information? <laughs> First, as we go this week, we must examine our beliefs in light of Scripture. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They would not listen to Jesus. They would not examine what was happening right in front of them in lieu of what they knew from Scripture. They knew Isaiah and all those chapters we looked at. But where do they turn to? They turn to the Mishnah, to other teachers, other men like themselves, when they've got Jesus standing right before them who is proving, living out the very scriptures that they claim to know and they're ignoring it. We're doing the same thing today. We know what the Bible teaches, particularly about moral laws and stuff, but we're ignoring it. We need to examine what we believe, what we think on every issue and examine them in terms of, of what the Bible says. And we've got to be honest with ourselves because we know our traditions get in the way. Secondly, we can share with others the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. As we look at this guy, he's teaching the very teachers of Israel. These are the teachers of the teachers of the teachers. These are the top guys, and they have no answer for what happened. You have experienced Christ and how he's changed your lives in so many ways. And when we share them with others, they can't argue because it's there. We're the proof. We're the living proof, the living embodiment of what God is doing in the world today. We need to be sharing that because that's powerful and almost irrefutable. Lastly, we can worship Jesus in faith and in action because what he's done for us and others that we know, we can see it. We can trust in that, and he is worthy of that worship, just as this guy knew who Jesus was. As he's claiming, I, I, I can see, I know. That should lead us to worship, not of ourselves, not of those that have helped, but of the Lord ourselves. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this guy who was willing to stand for you and show us how we can stand before those in our day and age. Our leaders today are no different than those Pharisees there. They want to deny what's right in front of them. They have their own beliefs, their own traditions that elevate them, and they refuse to accept you. Lord, help us to bend that knee and worship you and accept what you're doing and what you're saying in our world as we go about our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.